0: Go ahead and open up to Jonah Chapter One, Jonah One. last year when I was here, we did Jonah chapter Four. I fear we 'd do it in reverse order and jump back to the Jonah Chapter One. I just really like spending time in jonah it 's been one of my favorite series that i 've done in the, in the long, many, many years that I 've preached <laughs> joking um, <clears throat> Jonah, and the reason why I enjoy speaking from Jonah and studying Jonah so much is because it's such a unique. Uh, it's such a unique book in the minor prophets, and the minor prophets, and it's even hard to call it a book because you notice in your <laughs> in your Bible, it literally takes up probably three and a half pages, maybe maybe only three pages. It's very small. But the reason it's so unique is because most of the minor prophets will spend one verse telling you about that prophet, and the rest of the the book will tell you about that prophet's message. But Jonah is so unique because you really only have one verse about Jonah's message in chapter 3, and the rest of the time is spent telling us about what happened to Jonah. But what's really key to understand when we read any account in the Bible that tells us a narrative and tells us a story is even though we have a focus on a person, the focus really is not on the person. The purpose of the account is not to tell us, oh, there was this man, Jonah, and he was good or he was bad, but to tell us about the God that they experienced, and in particular here. Uh, And then throughout the Bible, what you learn about is Yahweh, the only God, the God of heaven. And here we learn about Jonah's God and his experience through him. And that is going to teach us as well. And so that's our purpose in studying Jonah 1, Jonah chapter 1 this morning, is to learn about Jonah's God, our God. And tonight what we're going to see is how God's will is sovereign. And as we begin, I want you to go ahead and notice the first three verses with me because this really tells us all we need to know to dive into the rest of the account uh, this morning or this evening. Uh, So notice verses 1 through 3 with me of Jonah 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. So the first three verses really tell us the two important details we need to know to really, in a sense, know the rest of the account. Uh, First, God has told Jonah to go to Nineveh to tell them about their wickedness so they will repent. And the second detail is Jonah does not want to. And he says no. And he tries to flee from God's will. He runs in the opposite direction. Go up to Tarshish, up over here. And Jonah goes, nope, I'm going as far away from you and your people as I can possibly go. Uh, And really, if you know who God is, but you know nothing else about this account... Hopefully, we already know that this is not going to end well for Jonah. When you tell God, no, I'm not doing what you tell me to do, this is going to end up bad. But that's what we want to figure out this morning. How is it going to turn out for Jonah? Uh, What happens when we turn away from God's will. And really that's the warning to us as well. When we're tempted to ignore and oppose God's will, what's going to happen to us? What will we find happening in our lives as well today? So the first thing, we're going to learn two things uh, this evening. Uh, And the first thing is that whenever Jonah flees from God's will and is Well, when we flee from God's will, we will find that God is sovereign and how he proves idols to be powerless and us hopeless. The Lord could have stopped Jonah at any point whenever he was fleeing from him. He could have come down and said, no, stop there. Stop there. Or I'm going to bring up some sort of opposition. But he allows him to go all the way to, to Uh, to get on a boat and end up in the middle of the sea before God takes action. And when God takes action, it is in a very powerful way. He brings a great and mighty storm against Jonah and the ship that he is on. And there are winds howling. The storm is so strong and so mighty that the text tells us that In verse 4, the ship threatened to break up. And this causes the men on the ship, the mariners or the sailors, to be very afraid. They are so afraid that they call out to their different gods that they worship and the different gods they knew from different parts of the world trying to have some sort of help here uh, on the sea. And, of course, as we would Uh, Expect nothing happens. They're they're still only the situation is only getting worse and worse. And so they turn to their own strength. And now they they try. The text tells us in verse uh, five that not only do they call out to their gods, they now start hurling cargo over the side, hoping that as the ship becomes lighter, that maybe they'll be able to maneuver better or prevent themselves from sinking so quickly And meanwhile, while they're panicked and they're working hard and rowing, Jonah is down below deck sleeping. And the captain is, of course, very frustrated by this. Hey, we're all calling out to our gods. How about you cry out to your God? And so he goes down to Jonah and he says, what is meant by this sleep? You sleeper, get up, cry out to your God, and maybe he will do something about this. Maybe he will save us. The captain's words, though, had to ring very true and probably very ironic for Jonah there in that moment. Think about that. The captain here tells Jonah to call out to his God for salvation. But the only reason Jonah was in this ship in the first place is because he was running from his God in the first place. Jonah's deep sleep is meant to tell us, I believe, that Jonah was already very hopelessly aware of the irony of his situation. About 800 years later, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus, the creator of the world, would sleep on a ship. But it would be because he knew... That no ship is going to go down in a storm with the creator of the world on that ship. That is not why Jonah is sleeping. Jonah's sleep is filled with apathy. It says it is a deep sleep. He is not sleeping because he is full of hope. He's sleeping because he knows they are all hopeless. They can all cry out to their gods as much as they want. But the bottom line is that Jonah ran from the Lord's will. And it is only by turning back to him that they will be saved. And when Jonah ran from God, he ran from the only one who could save at all. I believe that this ironic scene presents a very powerful warning to us. If you're like me, there's going to be situations. And there have been situations in your life when... Things just become difficult in obeying the Lord. We read God's will, He tells us what to do, yet because of our exhaustion or our stubbornness or our situation or the responsibilities, we just don't want to do it. We want to say no. We're tired, we're exhausted. The change that God is calling me to make is too great. I don't see why this is so important. I just don't want to. I don't feel like it. There was a preacher who did this some time back. He committed adultery on his wife and ran off to live with this woman, but then came back and began to repent. And it seemed like things were going to go well and that he was going to get his life back on track. Until he just eventually decided to turn his back on his family, turn his back on his wife, turn his back on the church, and go run off away and live with the woman. And it might be easy for us to look at Jonah and to look at that example and to look at others and just say, well, that's never going to happen to me. But if we're honest... We've probably all had these situations, at least these temptations, come up in our life where things just get difficult and we don't want to. We don't want to fight anymore. The fight against Satan is too much. The temptation is too great. And as opposed to just saying, well, this is never going to be happening to me, it's better to recognize that though the situations or the specifics might be different... There have been times and there probably will be times in the future where we're tired and exhausted and tempted to give up. And the thought is going to hit us. Why not just run? And when that thought hits you, when that thought hits me, let's pause for a moment. And let's think deeply about the storms that we're waiting for in life that have yet to come. Pause and think deeply about what's coming in the future. Think about the stresses and anxieties that are yet to come. Think about the sicknesses that you still have to face. Think about the financial troubles that we will face. Think about the war. And even think about the loss and even the death that is yet to come in our lives. If we decide to run from God's will now... We are running from the only one who can help us at all. And we are choosing to be alone in that day. We know this. No money, no intelligence, no power will be able to save us in that difficulty in those days. If we decide that we're going to run, we're running from the only one who has help. The only one who can save. And so let that thought sink in and hit you, hit each one of us in that moment when we are contemplating, when we're faced with a temptation. I'm running from my God, the one who loves me and the one who will save. I do not want to be hopeless and helpless without him. But. Not only does God show us that we are helpless and hopeless without him when we flee from his will, but through this narrative, he also shows us through Jonah's example that he causes pagans to fear him through judgment in our lives. So when the fearful sailors saw, picking up in about verse 7 there, when the fearful sailors saw that everything was going south and that they were not going to be able to have help from their gods or by throwing uh, cargo overboard, they cast lots, uh, meaning they they found they had some sort of way, casting lots to find out to narrow down on the person who was causing this divine wrath to come upon them. It's kind of like drawing straws or drawing sticks, and the lots fall upon Jonah. And as soon as the lot falls on Jonah, he's immediately peppered with questions. Well, what land are you from? Who are you? What is your job? And Jonah really responds with the only thing that matters, the only thing that's pertinent in that moment. He says there in uh, in verse 8 or verse 9, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, when the sailors heard that, you read in the text that they were exceedingly afraid. Jonah had already told these sailors, the text tells us, that he was running from his God and now they find out that this God is named Yahweh and he's the creator of everything and so Jonah decides to flee onto the sea from the God who created the sea. If you're a if you're a polytheist then you know that's really bad if you're running from Poseidon you don't go on Poseidon's Sea just like if you're running from Yahweh you don't run what they learn is you can't run anywhere you can't go anywhere because he created everything and so they are very scared and they cry out to Jonah what is this that you have done and think again about the irony in this situation these pagan men who have never heard of Yahweh before but now here. Two simple facts, or three simple facts. He lives in heaven, created the dry land and the sea, and they know more than Jonah does. Because Jonah's not afraid. He's he's apathetic about the whole thing. They recognize the foolishness that is not apparent to Jonah. And so the sea rages harder and harder, and they are running out of time. And so these men, they turn back to Jonah, and they say, what can we do to you to cause the sea to calm down? But Jonah's answers it 's really baffling because it shows how hard hearted he is and how stubborn he is he refuses to obey god and he says there in verse twelve, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you for I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah would rather die than repent that is how hard hearted this prophet has has become at this point. We must remember, we don't have verse 17 until verse 17. There's no great fish or sea monster that's coming up to swallow Jonah. Uh, We have nothing like that. Rather, we just have Jonah wanting to be cast into the sea. But these men, they're not killers. Think about it. These are people like you and me. And a ship is in the ocean and it's threatening to break up. But just because your life is on the line doesn't mean you're just going to go kill some guy who is the prophet of another God who caused this storm. I mean, they don't want to make Jonah's God angry just as he's been angry at Jonah. You don't want to kill anybody. We don't want to kill anybody. And these average men do not want to do that either. But... Everything just continues to get worse. The more they row and refuse Jonah's answer, the more the storm rages on. Their lives are at stake. And so they're cornered by Jonah's stubbornness to not repent and God's storm to do the only thing that they knew to do in that moment. The text tells us that they cried out to God for salvation and then they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. It's interesting to see all these details that funnel in on these sailors. Because that's not what you would expect in this narrative. You'd expect a continued focus just on Jonah. Yet as you notice the text, you have a lot of details about them. Notice verse 13 through verse 15 or verse 16 here, it says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. So they're hopeless, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Place yourself in the, in the shoes of these sailors for a moment. You're facing a storm, but that's not necessarily a big deal. Normally, that comes with a job description. Sailors don't get become afraid by storms. But this storm was apparently very different because they were afraid. It was like nothing they had ever experienced. They were pushed to the brink of hopelessness. Imagine what that would be like to cycle through all the possibilities, all the possible solutions, all the solutions you've gone to before. And somehow you're still alive to this day. They cry out to their gods. They throw out the cargo. They row harder and harder. And then they learn that this different storm is different for a reason. Because they find out that this prophet who's on their ship is not just there by circumstance. He is there because he is running from the author of this storm, Yahweh, the one who has created everything that ever exists. And the only way to have a solution, the only way to be saved is to throw this prophet into the sea. And so you're carrying this prophet who's running from... The God who created everything and now you have to throw him into the sea and you must be thinking at this moment, I have to kill somebody in order to save my own life. You don't want to do that. But you're pushed to the brink of exhaustion and you have no other help. In our terms today, I mean, if you watch YouTube very much, you see all the tricks and Pranks that people pull on each other at that moment. You've got to be wondering, what am I doing? I don't want to be the guy who killed somebody in the midst of some prank or some joke. Is this serious? And so they throw someone overboard and that's all they know. That happens. You probably wonder if you had absolutely lost your mind. Why would these ordinary men... Go to this point of throwing God's prophet off the ship. Notice back up in verse 14. Notice what was in their heart at the moment. Because they had moved on from fear. Therefore they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. We should not underestimate these words here, especially as you note the last part there for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you when these men saw how Jonah was chased down by a divine by a divinely prepared storm. And how he had fled, the Lord, fled from the Lord's will and had no solution and no salvation and to their knowledge died for fleeing from his will. They learned something very critical about Yahweh. Yahweh is not like their gods who they had worshipped and offered sacrifices to in the past and who, were, who they were calling out to just before. He's different. He dwells beyond human eyes, cannot be forged with human hands. He dwells in heaven and he does what he wants to do. There are other gods just sit there and they made them with their own hands. But he does as he pleases. Yahweh's will cannot be thwarted. And they're not going to stand in his way like Jonah did. And so if if God wants Jonah, if, if Yahweh, the creator of everything, wants Jonah, then Jonah is the one they're going to get. If you want to look at it on the screen, you can do so, or if you want to see it in your Bible. But Psalm 115 contains similar words to what these men spoke. I find this passage a great parallel in idea, in the thought and idea to what these sailors recognized. Psalm 115 verses 3 through 8. The psalmist says there, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. This is similar to what these men realized in this situation. When they believed what the Lord's will was and threw the man into the sea. And the sea calmed before their eyes. They recognized something very important. And verse 16 is just a perfect response. You notice verse 16 back in Jonah chapter 1. It says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. (coughs) Consider once again the irony of what God has just caused. Jonah's opposition the Lord told Jonah to go correct a city filled with pagans and yet Jonah did not want to and so he ran in the opposite direction got on a ship filled with pagans and God brought a storm which caused these pagans to fear him and to change their lives and to make vows before God And in the end, God's going to cause him and force him to go back to Nineveh in the first place. Wherever Jonah goes, God is going to cause people to change their lives and to fear him. Whether or not it is by Jonah's free will, whether or not it's what Jonah wants to do. It did not matter what Jonah did. God was going to use him to glorify his name among the nations. If Jonah did not want the pagan men in Nineveh to to know the Lord through uh, Jonah's lips, then God was just going to bring an insane storm upon Jonah, cause a ship full of pagans to fear him, and then cause Nineveh to fear him through his lips because that's what God wanted to happen in the first place. If God wanted to, he could have brought up another prophet and sent someone else. But God wanted to make a very clear point through this account. He does what he wants. He is sovereign. And he will be glorified. And I hope that the message then is very clear to us because it was not clear to Israel. The Lord God is sovereign over everything and every person. His will will be accomplished. And he will be glorified through each and every one of us in this room. Whether or not we cooperate. If we resist his will. Let us please, please recognize that God shows throughout scripture that he is the one who will take our resistance and glorify his name anyway through that resistance by judging us. And by allowing the sin that we commit to make a wreck of our lives. And we know how true this is. You simply look at the world around us. And I don't say this in a prideful way because these are things that we've probably experienced. But you look at the world around us and you see, okay, what happens when people place their hope in money as opposed to God? Well, in 1929, when the stock market crashed, people killed themselves and they gave up their hope and they gave up their lives. That's what happens when we put our trust elsewhere. Those who engage in promiscuous lifestyles often find that they have diseases or they end up with abortions or unstable lives. Those who are captured by addictions will end up never be- being the same again Those who do not prioritize God and his word will simply find later on that their lives are not filled with any purpose or meaning. I don't say that because, well, just look out at everybody else because we've probably experienced these things. uh, Many of us have experienced these things and the wreck that sin has done, the damage that sin has done to our lives. The point is this, those who choose to oppose the Lord's will will often end up with messed up, depressing, destroyed lives by what God will do to glorify his name. To show that we are helpless and hopeless. To show others that they ought to fear him. To show others that they ought to submit to him and not be foolish as we were foolish. If we're not going to show the world how awesome it is to fully submit to God's will, then God will use us to show the world how foolish it is to not fully submit to His sovereign will. Brothers and sisters, let us not be the fools who force God's hand, who force Him to raise Himself up over us and to make an example of us. It does not matter how unlikable God's will is in a moment. It doesn't matter. Because it's not worth turning against the sovereign creator. We recognize now most of us as we're in this room, we sing songs of praise to God and we study his word. We're revved up. We're excited to obey God. We want to. We love him. But the truth of the fact is that there's going to be times when we don't love that will. There's going to be difficult moments. And for the men on the ship, what was key for them is to not forget the scene of what happened to Jonah when they cast him overboard. That told them what the consequences of sin were. And that's going to be very key for us as well. Don't forget what happened to Jonah. Let us not forget that when we resist his will, we're forcing his hand. He's told us ahead of time. He's made an example of others ahead of time. And just as if they would have forgotten, it would have been foolish if we forget It will be foolishness for us because this picture can propel us to fear the Lord and to remain faithful when it's not easy to be faithful. Simply because that's the logical, smart, reasonable thing to do. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so when we don't like or see the importance of God's commands, let's remember these two things. If we flee... The Lord will show us how helpless and hopeless we are without him. And if we flee, the Lord will cause others to fear him through the mess that our lives will become and through the judgment he will bring. Don't be Jonah. Submit to God's sovereign will. And we will find that after that affliction, that difficult moment, that difficult decision, God's will will be much sweeter than we had Previously realized and felt in that moment. And God, as opposed to using our lives to show the foolishness of what, it, what happens, how foolish it is to turn against him, God will instead use our lives to show the awesome reward that those who obey him will receive. Be that example and choose to glorify God's name in that way. And so now is the time. Now is the time to turn away from stubbornness, turn away from sin, and to give your life to God. If you see that you've been stuck in stubbornness, stuck in sin, and you've wanted to resist His will or been resisting His will, it's time to seek help from the brothers and sisters here. It's time to seek God. Because God's punishment, the difficulty in our life that He allows because of sin, it's always redemptive. With Jonah here... The purposes in the punishment were redemptive. Because in the end, God was able to bring Jonah back to him and back into his will. We saw that with Uzziah this morning in 2 Chronicles. Even after he went so far as to become angry at the prophets of the Lord. And God struck him with leprosy. He got the picture and backed off. That's because when God punishes us, he's trying to bring us back. And so don't take don't take this punishment. Don't take the bad consequences as a message that you need to run away from God, but run back to him even more, no matter where you've run in the past. So come back to God this morning. You can receive the forgiveness of sins by expressing faith in him and being immersed in water. Do that with tonight. Come forward to the front. Where we stand and sing.